Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast, and I'm joined by an experienced group of tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic, how to get the best out of engineers. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room, make some general introductions. So, Dennis. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Dennis. I work at Railline, uh, set as a CTO. Um, I sit with everything 360 uh, in a business, from finance to warehouse management to managing engineers. Um, and making things happen, really. Um, outside of work, I enjoy listening and reading a lot of books. I enjoy being competitive in whatever I do, being uh, running really slow or playing a game. Um, yeah, I think that's me. Thank you, Dennis. And Debbie? Uh, well, hello, everyone. And uh, thank you, Connor and Evolution Exchange for inviting me to this podcast. And uh, nice to meet you, Dennis and Rasmus. Um, looking forward to some interesting conversations today here. Um, I'm Divya and I'm from India, um, uh, but I've made Denmark my home for the last 22 years. Um, I came here to do my master's at ITU ever since I've been working at uh, various IT companies and banks and now recently at Simcorp. So Simcorp is a wall-to-wall solution provider for investment management solutions uh, industries, and they have committed to become the leading SaaS provider uh, for investment solutions. And I'm uh, contributing as a lead engineer in one of the teams there. Uh, on the personal front, I'm married. I have two kids. I enjoy traveling. Uh, I love watching movies and uh, uh, catching up on all things related to technology. Yes. Thank you very much. And last but not least, Lise, Rasmus. Absolutely. Good to meet you all. Thanks for inviting me, Stana. Pleasure to be on here. Um, yeah, like you said, my name is, is Rasmus. I work for 3Shape. Um, 3Shape is a company that does digital dentistry. So we basically transform the traditional work of the dentist into a uh, say, modern way of working with a intro scanner and software solutions to uh, help them do their work. And my background is, is in engineering. I've worked as an engineer for 15 years before becoming a, a people manager, which is what I do at Fishit. So my job is to manage a group of engineers and get the best out of them. Very apropos. Um, yeah. And uh, outside of work, I enjoy going to the gym when I can uh, force myself to do it. I also, of course, enjoy spending time with my family and uh, hanging out with them. Whenever there's time to do it, I think that's about it. I think that covers it. Well, thank you for the introductions, everyone. It's my pleasure to have all three of you on. And if there's one thing I love about this panel so far, it's that diversity in the job titles, I mean, be it as a CTO, a group manager, or a lead engineer. But the one thing that you've got in common is that one of the daily challenges is how to get the best out of engineers. 
and I'm glad that that's the topic we're directly addressing today. But first and foremost, in order to establish a little bit of context, I thought I would pose this, this question to the group. It's when it comes to software engineers, how do you define the best? And Rasmus, I'll let you take it away to start with. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's an excellent question. And I think one that is, is worth talking about uh, frequently. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's hard to, to sort of put a number and say like this, this person is the absolute best software engineer. But when I think also like back to the people I've worked with and the people I'm working with now, I think one, one key thing is someone who's definitely got the technical foundation to be a brilliant engineer. Maybe that goes without saying, but in any case, but also someone who's come to the maturity and the sort of point in their career where they realized, okay, I cannot produce anymore as an individual contributor. It's it's not possible. There are only so many hours a day and I'm not going to write any more code and I'm not going to do any more reviews than I'm doing now. So they start to focus on their mentoring capabilities and how to amplify the performance of other team members. And that's usually where you will see the very, very best people, I think. Um, I had this one colleague at one point, I would consider him the best engineer I've ever worked with. And most of the time he would just walk around in a very friendly manager manner, talk to other engineers um, about how they could basically improve their solutions. But he would do it in a way where they didn't feel like they wouldn't get defensive or anything. He would just like this very nice person who also happened to be a PhD in mathematics and computer science. So um, yeah. Uh, he's, he's probably the, the, the very best example of, of what I'm talking about here. I think it's a great example when somebody reaches the maximum that they can do as an individual contributor and then they start focusing on leadership skills, mentoring others in order to get the best out of them as well. I mean, Divya, what's your, what's your take on this one? Uh, yes, excellent um, points, Rasmus, and I agree with them, but I just um, want to make a distinction here. Um, I think... Um, um, I want to make a distinction between experienced engineers and novices. And I think I want to believe that uh, both of them have the potential to be the best in their own ways. Uh, but it's just about the attributes and the expectations that you uh, have from them. So now, for example, experienced engineers, they tend to be well prepared. They are structured and systematic, which just comes because of years of experience. Uh, well, novices, they tend to be very creative, observant and curious. Um, and now they ask a lot of questions and they find creative solutions much to your surprise. Uh, just because experienced engineers are now they produce quality code, they debug in a better way and uh, produce uh, del make deliveries faster, it doesn't mean that we should simply write off uh, novice engineers as worst. So I would like to think in terms of levels of growth. So, you know, when you begin, there are some bunch of characteristics that would uh, probably associated, associate with a good person, like, you know, being thoughtful, attentive and curious, uh, courage to ask uh, tough questions, be inspired and, uh, you know, hold yourself accountable, being kind and ma well-mannered and so on. So that might be just enough to make the cut to call you the best engineers. You see the, you know, in the seat that, okay, here's the potential um, uh, then I would talk about the next level where you're you're being very productive and uh, you're able to contribute, uh, maybe because your technical skills are improving and uh, you are data-driven and systematic and uh, you know how to align with your team's goals, company's visions and so on. Uh, then there's another level of growth. It comes with the decision-making, for example. Uh, you know how to make 
judgment of uh, humans. So, uh, you know, what's uh, good for your team, you know, when to push an agenda or when to stop doing that. Uh, you become um, a domain expert. You make smart choices when it comes to architectural decisions, system design, and you know how to handle complexity. Uh, that's one level. And and there's one more level uh, about that. And that is what I would say when you start analyzing um, the relationships between processes, people and product. So you just go beyond your own team and or department or units and you start to uh, create relationships based on uh, shared context or shared idea of success. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, when we talk about who is the best engineer, I think it's a many-layered one and multi-dimensional. Um, you, so, um, it's, uh, I think it's different things, uh, some things that are evolved over time, uh, personal traits, decision-making astuteness and um, your contributions, how how much value you add to the team and uh, the, how you manage relationships with people, product and processes. So for me, the best engineer is that one who relentlessly is in pursuit of all these attributes. So uh, that's how I see it. There's one thing I loved about your answer there, was you really encapsulated how multifaceted it is. There's not one direct measure of success and it's somebody who pursues multiple things. I mean, there's so many metrics that you could use and you've done a good job there of assessing some of those. But Dennis, I'm intrigued to hear your opinion on this one. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, it's very difficult to not agree with what's already been said, but the question in general is to me a an old focus because you have your by by saying someone is the best at the role they they possess you are immediately weighing them up against other people in that very specific context um obviously you have your great engineers who are able to develop amazing products or uh, eat an api reference or whatever right um and you need these people but to me it's generally very uninteresting to focus on these aspects um, because I focus a lot more on the team, which is also what I hear you, uh, Diaz, is getting into that. Um, it's It very fast becomes about all these different attributes that the person has that is a lot more contextual to the business, to the team, to cross-organizational verticals in the business. Um, there's these very interesting studies that's been made where there's been measured how good is the best versus the worst uh, guy uh, in performance, like how fast are they at completing the same task where the ratio is like one to 10. So what a guy does in 10 hours, the best guy can do in one hour. The interesting thing here is that when you extrapolate that to teams, it's one to 2000. So what one uh, team can do in one week, the worst team will do in 2000 weeks. So to me, the best engineers are the ones who enable the team and the structure and the processes around the team to perform extremely well. And you can take the individual uh, talks like you you need to perform better in these areas. You need to be better at uh, writing this kind of code. But generally, I would rather focus on what that person wants to do, how it fits into a team or another team in the organization in a better way that enables that team to perform better. Uh, and the individual realizing their position in this um, this structure and way to to organize yourself is really um, the best because he's a team player and he understands that the team is above the person. 
And then you have personal goals beside that. You want to be a better specialist. You want to become a manager, whatever you want to do. Um, but in general, the question, who is the best engineer and how do we evaluate that? It's not that interesting to me. Of course, and I think as we dive deeper, it was just nice to get a little bit of a, a context in terms of you getting the best out of engineers. So how do you define the best within engineers? I mean, what kind of traits is it you're going to bring out in people? Is it to mentor? Is it to enable? And I think the, the answers that have been provided by all three have enabled that basis for conversations to continue. And I mean, starting at the very beginning, I know Divya, you've got a question that you'd like to pose to the panel that is very much related to engineers just coming into the business. So if you'd like to pose that. Yes, of course. So imagine that uh, you were to be a mentor to a very young, freshly minted, just off the press software engineer. What would some of your advice be? And what kind of plan would you chalk out for them? What would you ask them to watch out uh, down their career path? And do you have any personal experience experiences which would guide your advice? So this is my question to all of you. I think um, if I can continue on that, um, it's really interesting because it's also the focus on or of a lot of newly freshly graduates. Like the folk, I want to be the best. I want to make a lot of money. I want to get to one of the big companies or whatever you want to do, right? Um, and it's often like, especially the people who are very ambitious will seek out people like us to figure out how did you get to where you are? And you obviously want to offer them the best advice you can. Um, generally, I tell people um, to focus on what you want to learn and figure out where you want to go because no one knows that immediately. No one knows like, do I want to be the specialist, the architect? Do I have the skills to become the architect and the interest to become the architect? Or do I want to do managing? Um, most people, especially in Denmark, when they've had like uh, the uh, support from the state while studying, are very focused on all of a sudden I get a huge paycheck. What I'm very adamant about telling them is that don't focus on salary immediately. Focus on finding people where you can learn and where you can hone your skills and understand what it is that gets you going in an organization because you will, anyone within our field will make the salaries that they want to make uh, soon enough because it's a very competitive area. Um, so my advice is always uh, l go somewhere where you can learn as absolutely much as you can do. Surround yourself with people who are ambitious, who are happy and who make you grow. Yeah, thanks. Rasmus, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, th I think what Dennis said is, is all good advice. Um, generally, I would uh, tell people that go work somewhere where people are way smarter than you. Like that, definitely, you should you should have the feeling that like everyone in the team is probably smarter and more experienced than you. This way, you'll be sure you're learning. And I guess the second advice would be don't be afraid to. And and this kind of it, it may sound odd from someone who's who's a people manager themselves, but I would really encourage to, you know, don't be afraid to take a few risks. Like if you come across an interesting opportunity as a someone who's a fresh graduate, try it. Like it, you will probably learn something. And if it seems very hard, very challenging, you'll probably learn a lot. And worst case, yeah, it doesn't work out. Then you try something else. Like I, I, I worked at a startup that went bankrupt as a junior engineer. And it's like, well, let's <laughs> it was a one hell of a ride, and it didn't work out. But it was a lot of a uh, fun stuff to do. Um, so definitely do that. I think like what once you get a bit further down your career, there's like some temptation for some people to define themselves as, well, I'm a Java engineer, or well, I'm a C sharp engineer, or well, I'm a backend. It's like, I think that's a trap, basically. So like, don't 
don't just define yourself as the guy who does Java or C sharp. There's no, I don't think there's a lot of long-term growth in that. Like by adding some more languages and technologies to what you can do, focus on finding new ways of thinking about problems more than languages. Because I mean, and I think every like semi-experienced engineer will tell you this. Like once you've learned a couple of languages, like learning new languages is not that hard. Really, it seems like it's very hard when you're a junior guy, but it isn't. So expand, you know, like if you didn't do any functional programming, try some functional programming, even if it's just for a hobby project, just, just expand your, your, um, your ways of thinking. And then you'll find that you can actually take that knowledge and apply it to a lot of situations. Like it really, really opens up your, your, um, set of tools and, and angles on problems and you become much, much better for it. And I'm not don't want to name any names here or, or, or make it sound really negative, but I, I think I've come across a couple of people that's like, oh yeah, I have 20 years of experience. It's like, yeah, solving the same problems with the same programming language. And it shows in your approach to the problems. Like you only really have one approach to, to the problems that are coming your way. And so I think that's trap and, and I would definitely guide people to avoid it. And I guess that also answers the last part about the personal experience, I guess. So Divya, how do you feel about this yourself? Uh, yes, thanks for your inputs, Dennis and Rasmus. Um, well, uh, you both gave some advices, um, but I also want to focus uh, in my answer about the uh, about how would I go about it. Uh, I uh, I want I do not want to be the one who gives a lot of tons of advice to them, but uh, maybe get it out from themselves. So I would uh, uh, maybe I would uh, have a uh, have a kind of a framework where you know where they are re uh, reflecting uh, on what they want to do and uh, how they will go about it and how can they make an assessment of it so if i had to become a mentor uh, i would have a few conversations with them the first few conversations would be about uh, reflection you know i would ask them uh, where do they see themselves today where do they want to go and uh, uh, what are the obstacles or the gaps that they have so uh, it's about um, becoming aware uh, of what the, what needs to be done. Um, that would be the reflection part. And then I would think um, you know, there has to be some planning around it. And it should come from them rather than uh, uh, me spelling out something. I want to be just the person who nudges them. Uh, so um, then um, uh, I would ask them how would they plan their goals in a way that is agreeable to them. Not too painful uh, to you know follow, uh, not to be too rigorous with them because they also have a, a life to carry on. They are in the adulting now. Uh, so uh, how would they balance the pursuit of their goals with uh, every day? Uh, finding that answers is definitely going to help them to make the plans. So for example, you know if uh, they wanted to uh, follow this, you know improving on a daily basis, how would they go about it? There will be different answers to that. Maybe somebody wants to listen to podcasts. Somebody wants to read a book while commuting. Another one might want to join um, a community and contribute to open source. So there are myriad ways uh, that uh, they might want to do. But it has to be the way that fits right into their lives. Um, and um, the answer has to come from them rather than uh, me providing. Um, and then, of course, I would be uh, I would follow up on how their progress is on. Uh, which is their execution of their plans. And I would be so interested to know where they went right. Did they have some learnings? Um, maybe their plans need some fine tuning. And I would also, uh, as a last part, also would like to uh, ask them to make an assessment 
you know, uh, I would want to know from them what kind of work give them a lot of, um, uh, show them a lot of, uh, show them purpose or uh, joy, joy in what they did. Because that those are the kind of things that will make them keep them happy. Uh, so it it is for them to discover and it should set a direction for them uh, to uh, down their career. Okay, so this is what makes me happy and maybe I should uh, look for more tasks like this. Uh, this is the kind of profile I want to build. Um, uh, because eventually everyone wants to be happy and uh, that's uh, how I would uh, give them guidance. Um, uh, it's more of a nudge rather than um, coming up with a lot of uh, advice. Um, because... Uh, uh, I would, of course, uh, wouldn't mind giving guidance, but it has to be very objective and without bias. Um, so I think it's a uh, being a, doing a, being a mentor is a, a very uh, important role and to be done with care. I um, I think like I agree with you both both uh, and especially uh, as was one of the things you mentioned reminds me of my old mentor who said like once a month put two hours aside to learn something new every month. Um, and I think the it also speaks a little bit to what you're saying, Divya, that it's it's not about what you put in the bucket of what you are achieving as a human being and, and what you are learning. It's about raising the abstraction level of how you reflect over yourself and your life and how you learn stuff because putting in more knowledge, whether it's yeah. engineering or learning other facets of a business uh, because you'll be that guy who solves things, um, it's all about working that muscle in your brain that absorbs new information. Uh, and that's really the differentiator between the people who are high achievers and the people who very easily get caught up in the daily production. Run. Like if we think, let's face it, when we are developing products or products in um, our businesses, oftentimes it's a lot of the same kind of work for longer periods of time. And you need to reflect every month over, have I learned something new? Have I moved myself a little further in the direction I want to go um, this month or am I standing still? Um, and the people who really want to push themselves and become better sorry, um, are the ones who ends up gaining that abstraction level where they can really holistically look at themselves and their own progress um, all the time and absorb new information. Uh, I think that's exactly right what people need to do. Um, and I agree with you both completely. I'll just uh, add a comment here then. Um, I, I really like what you said as well, Bibi. I think um, perhaps what I said could come across as, as sort of, you know, just push everyone to sort of try and be the very best in the year or sort of top of the, the, the class. That That's not really what I meant. And I, I do like your way of raising it where you sort of try and help people find out what is it that you want to do and what, what you would like to do. What is it that basically makes you like a, a, a content person um when you're doing your, your job and that could be a number of things it doesn't it doesn't really matter it could be that hey i'm the kind of guy that actually enjoys these sort of maybe a bit routine maintenance tasks and i want to do them really well and sort of get all of that out of the way because that makes me happy it's like great like you found your focus or at least your, your current focus in your career then go do that you know, like because if if you don't i mean if you just chase something because You've heard this is going to take you great places. Then at some point the wheels will come off the wagon, and and you will be in a like an miserable place. I've been that place as well uh, uh, personally. So, and it's not fun. Then then it's no longer a, a exciting thing for you to do. It's just like oh, all right, I'll put in another ten hours to live up to this sort of 
random criteria that I, I didn't come up with myself. So that that's not a, a fun place to be in your career. Yes. It's a really great answer there, guys. And when I think of the purpose of the podcast to provide value to people within our network, be engineers, leaders, I think this really sets the example. I think don't focus on salary, focus on learning. Great piece of advice for somebody coming into the industry, as well as it's, it being a trap to define yourself by a programming language or a certain or the ability to solve a certain problem. I think Divya as well, really nice answer in terms of sometimes it has to come from within and can't be instilled from senior managers or leadership. It's something you have to go and pursue yourself to find out you know, what you really want to do. But Rasmus, I know that you have a question that's a little bit more on the holistic side from an organization's perspective. So if you'd like to pose that question. Yes. So something I'm curious about is how do you create a culture in which the team can, or rather the team members can grow together and support each other there, rather than focus on being individual heroes? Did you, did you want to go first? Uh, yes. So uh, individual heroes. Um, so when we talk about heroes, they are putting themselves at great risk and uh, they're doing this extraordinary deeds uh, in the face of danger. Uh, but of course, in software development, uh, rarely should a situation be so dangerous, right? Uh, if it is, then it's a sign of a very chaotic and processless development setting. Um, so so what I mean to say is there shouldn't be such a, a dangerous situation and therefore there shouldn't be any heroes. But if uh, there are individual heroes, as you say, why, why is it happening? So could it be because um, it's a new team and there are no uh, proper processes? Uh, could it be because there are constantly changes happening, poor planning in terms of uh, project management or just impractical schedules where the upper management is pushing you to get things done in a faster pace? Uh, that is when the, you breed individual heroes, right? Then someone has to save the day. Uh, you are actually in the firefighting business then. Um, but there is there are some uh, you know effects if such thing if such a situation is happening constantly in your team uh, your team growth will be hampered because now you have created silos knowledge silos and uh, maybe it's not documented what was done during this uh, firefighting situation um, it will also lead to discontentment because there's some person saving the day and the others uh, didn't get um, uh, get a hand in it and you know also the firefighter. He, he, it is not a sustainable situation. Um, there will be uh, sooner or later it will lead to fatigue if they keep on doing it all the time. Uh, so the software engineers are just reacting to events happening in their team. So well, your question was about uh, how to build this culture so that it doesn't happen. What can be done about that? Um, well, the first step I would think is to realize that you're in such a situation that your team is like always doing firefighting. Um, just realizing that is the first step and uh, this, uh, the next step is knowing how harmful can this be. Uh, then I would think, um, you know, it should be very second nature to the team to do a post-mortem whenever you think you're in uh, such, you land in such a situation. Maybe it's through the retrospectives or the dailies or whatever meetings, but it should be addressed as soon as possible. Why did we land in a situation and what could have been the reason behind this? Uh, there should be a uh, post-mortem done on that. And then I would also suggest that um, uh, Gofar is suggesting that every team should allocate some percentage of their team goal uh, efforts towards uh, minimizing all these uh, gaps, um, you know, where you think uh, are th are leading to these situations and also minimize technical debt. And uh, I think the leaders also have a job cut out for them. They need to create this framework 
where uh, which will encourage more knowledge sharing and uh, collaborating among colleagues um and then uh, also i would also think about uh, how uh, the culture of recognition and rewards it should be done for the right reasons so the, it should go to the right person and for the right reason um it should not just be because someone has been saving the day uh, that kind of thing and then um, it's i think it's also nice to have self organizing teams where um, rather than someone dictating you do this or do that the problems are brought down to the center and everyone figures out together um what needs to be done um i don't think this can be done very perfectly well but we should keep trying um and you uh, also the team needs to reassess the schedules and responsibilities and timelines uh, should some adjustments be made um and uh, i would also suggest about documentation of course everyone thinks it's boring but it's essential um so these are some of the tips or uh, things that i can think of uh, where you can build a culture that um, everyone works together in a collaborative uh, manner rather than individualistically i think that's interesting uh, and i also i agree with um, a lot of what you're saying uh, what comes to my mind is that a lot of it is um when you firefight or you do things that's like the stress induction into the team that makes the team go into the habits that they have and then the heroes will step up because you need to fix what is broken um and obviously a lot of responsibility is on management and senior management strategy in the organization to try and follow um some of the theories that we've seen has been proved to actually uh counteract against these things um uh, the agile way talks about minimizing waste uh, and and generally the more of these things that you have in the team that stresses the team the more risk you have that the individual uh, skill sense has to come up up and out because you need to solve things um i think as you say as well divya that it's paramount that you measure the team also coming back to what we started with initially um that it's you you need to measure team performance and not the individual performance you need to give rewards for the team performing great and not the individuals performing great there should always be time for helping there should always be time for mentoring um the old phrase that we we stand and fall as a team is really like you have to live it you have to talk it uh, every single day for the team uh, and you have to have ceremonies that facilitate these things um i once had an engineer telling me uh because we're doing some some process changes uh focusing on a, a different way of doing our tasks and he says oh but is there no longer time for us to help each other now and then i'm saying back to him quite the opposite there's always time to help each other and if anyone is promoting their own um work to seem better than the team then they're fighting against the team and i will rigorously fight against that because that is very very disruptive um it's really about helping the team work smarter and 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 not harder I mean, you you shouldn't push for miles you should push for removing the constraints that makes it difficult to have a smooth release process have smooth work on the things you have in your sprint um at the same time i also think it's about showing the team that you actually mean it um in my case i'm sitting next to my team in the same room with my monitors close by sometimes i have to make sure that they can't see if i'm working on something confidential right but it's the idea that you are available to the team as a manager or senior person 
obviously it's more difficult depending on how big the team is, but I'm, I'm truly against offices because by showing that you are available and anyone can always come and um, ask for my advice or help, I show the team that I value the team over me as an individual. And by showing that, I'm also showing they should do the same. Um, then I'll have to do some things. Maybe I'll have to work a little bit more in the other end because of the things I can do by myself. But it's the team above and beyond everyone. Um, when that really sinks in as culture, you begin not focusing on yourself or on the individual performance or, oh, I need to have job security because I know how to fix this and all these different things. Um, and I think that's really important in terms of of really fostering this team spirit that we're all in the same boat. Let's go paddling uh, across the sea together. Um, how, how would you go about it, Masmus? Uh, it's obviously different for you because you're more um, the... As, as Connor said initially, like sometimes I'm up on this cloud, right, talking about these holistic views, and sometimes you forget how it is uh, for, for the people managing all these teams. Um, how would you go about doing it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, uh, I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, that is some interesting thoughts there. Uh, and I think we can all agree that this is some of the one of the aspects of management that is very, very hard. It's, it sounds trivial, right? Like build a team create a good culture, yada, yada, yada. Well, it's really, really hard in practice. Um, one of the things that, that I struggle with, and I haven't found a good answer at all, is that we have this desire as managers, especially to build a strong team culture. I think we all want that. And I think most people working with engineering also like to be in a really good team. Why then do we have individual salary incentives to support that when we're trying to create a, like a good team culture? <laughs> That, that to me is sometimes a, a bit of a paradox and something that, that as a manager, it, it's sort of a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? So I would basically, I would like to reward the team more than I would like to reward the individual. Even though, obviously, you can argue that, yeah, this guy is brilliant. He's contributing more in the team. It's like, well, as we, as you alluded to in the beginning, Dennis, it doesn't really matter that much. I mean, I'm also, I'm a, a big fan of looking at team performance and team outcome more than individual outcome. This is something I, I also preach to my uh, <laughs> employees whenever they, they listen, also if they don't want to listen, but uh, it will come up again and again. I said, like, yes, it is important that you do a good job, but it is far more important that the team does a good job. Um, and I just don't see any businesses today that, that I've heard of, at least where, where there's an, a salary structure that sort of incentivizes that uh, behavior in an, in an official way. Um, and that for me is kind of the missing link. Like, how how do we do that, right? Like, it's we can we can talk and talk and talk and and try to inspire people, but there also need to be some like concrete action that supports it in terms of the uh, the actual salary that people get and the results that they see from their work. Like, guess I want to ask that back to both of you. And um, uh, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I just think that um, of course it's not, um, I that there should be more scope for uh, the team members to work together. But sometimes it doesn't happen, maybe because, you know, scheduled deadlines and timeline. And uh, so you would, the, the managers would start thinking, okay, is it best to put uh, two together or uh, maybe they should work on separate tasks and so on. Uh, but I think that uh, there should be a concerted effort um, for people to work together, maybe in collaboration, but uh, they're with the same, um, in the same page uh, with regards to a project. There should be definitely a scope 
uh, or a framework uh, to make sure that it's happening often um, and not less. Uh, absolutely agree. Um, I also think it's it's a, an interesting um, perspective on the whole uh, monetary compensation because it's true that most companies do not structure their way um, of how they are rewarding uh, employees. Um, like it's it's obviously your classic one-on-one or your salary talk once a year, whatever it is. Um, I think it's not all businesses that does it, but if there's a bonus, it should definitely be team-based. Like that's one way to very strongly incentivize um, team uh, goals and performance. Um, obviously, there'll be differences between your senior architect and your junior program. Uh, that's typically it's also obvious to the people. It should be obvious to the employee that I am not quote unquote as good as my architect guy. Like I can see he adds more value. Um, but one thing I think that's tremendously important is that you keep your steps of salary within those roles, be it like your junior, your software engineer, your senior, your architects, um, keep those guys at the same salary. Do not make it um, do not make it different. If you hire a guy who, because of the market, is a little higher in salary than your internal uh, increase has been, and you want that guy and he's 2,000 kroners higher or whatever, then you lift all the guys on that level to 2,000 kroners higher because it's about the team. And like that's some ways I, I, um, I don't know how many companies does it, but it's something that I feel personally it's important because that also talks into the idea that um, everyone fits in somewhere and where you fit is based on how that works in the organization and it's not necessarily about uh, you as a person. Um, and then you have your integrity in place both as the business, your leader, and it's a lot more easy to talk these um, types of having these conversations with people because it becomes uh, a lot more transparent. I think some great points there as well in terms of salary. I know it's going to sound completely off topic, but as a Liverpool fan, one of the main challenges we faced in football, and I think it's applicable to the discussion you guys are having, is that when one player one, one player gets a pay rise and it's not applicable across the board, motivations level drop, and it should be applied across the board in order to, to reflect people and the performance. And I think in terms of engineering as well, some great points there in terms of if people are more money for doing the same job, how that causes discrepancy in motivation and whether it's a team effort or an individual effort. But Dennis, I know that you've got a great question. So it relates to team culture, but takes an even more direct approach. So we'd like to pose that to the, to the panel. Uh, yeah, it follows up a little bit on um, my thoughts before also of how I am sitting in the team. Um, I think many businesses um, forget how important IT and development and engineering can be in terms of the entire value proposition for the entire business. Um, and especially modern ideas of DevOps has really moved this forward. Like engineering is dead center in the whole value creation chain of an organization. So what I thought could be interesting to talk about is why it's, um, whether you think it should be or if it is important that the development department and engineering department is that sensor in the organization on location and how that reflects in terms of having remote teams and how that whole um, uh, organizational structure uh, comes together um, for, for your, your teams and performance really and, and happiness and knowledge sharing and all these kind of things. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, Rasmus, could you maybe enlighten? Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack in that uh, question, Dennis. I could talk about remote work 
for a full day, I think. <laughs> uh, I think it's a really interesting topic. But to start with the, uh, the we could say the physical and the um, organization location of the development uh, organization apps, I, I, I do believe there is some value to to having people sit somewhere where, where you can see them and, and you can sort of understand what's going on and, and so how it's all connected and that the developer is not just a bunch of gigs sitting in a corner and uh, doing something and then out comes software, you know. I think I think that leads to to a lot of, you can say, organizational anti-patterns I've seen also in at least in my career where sort of the development department can become a bit of a um, almost like a, a lab where where no one is allowed to enter it uh, unless they get permission from from the guards and, and I, I don't think it should should be like that I think there's definitely a, a value but it should go both both ways then right like that you also need developers who actually want to engage in what the rest of the organization is doing um for me it's more of a maturity thing really it's like if you have people who are motivated to build something that's really great they tend to be quite interested in what is going on around them so like oh can i go talk to the customer can i go understand what it is that's not working for them but people will generally ask these questions if you if you build a culture where, where things are working the way they shift um however and i can speak from both sides of my mouth and <laughs> because I'm, I'm being asked to, to say something on this show, so I'll do that now. I do believe there's a lot of value in partitioning people's schedules so that engineers can actually have productive time, large blocks of productive, uninterrupted engineering time where they sit in their little cave and with their headphones on and get to just uh, you know focus on, on solving problems. That's an absolutely necessary component of a good good engineering workspace um there's a famous article i don't know if you i don't know if, if it is famous i believe it is uh, that talks about the manager's schedule versus the maker's schedule so this is a like, inherent uh, paradox i think with engineering is a graph people like us or managers like we run around go to meetings coordinate work talk to lots of people our schedule is constantly changing we have meetings we have calls uh, all day, basically. Uh, and then there's the people who actually create things, build things. Their schedule needs to be completely different. They need these blocks of uninterrupted time where they can do some work and not think about the next meeting or the call uh, that's coming up or whatever. And something I found to be extremely important is that by giving people sort of, by sort of making a contract with your engineers and saying like, I will do my very best as a manager to respect your maker's schedule and sort of Find that perfect interface where we do have the necessary meetings, but I'll do my very best to arrange them in the best, sort of the most respectful way towards your schedule. And that's worked extremely well, I think, with the teams that I manage. Um, even one of the engineers even posted a screenshot on his from his Outlook calendar on LinkedIn and said, "I'm living the dream. I have only two uh, meetings every week, and it's great. And I'm just both happy." And yeah, and remote can definitely be a part of that to sort of go back to that part of the question. I think remote work can be a, a, a huge help in partitioning the, the week in a way where people have this sort of, ah, Tuesday, like no meetings for me. I'm just, I'm sitting at home solving this problem. Please don't, uh, please respect my my need for some uh, busy time. I think that, that was my take on it. And, uh, and that was the short version. <laughs> what about yourself, did you? Sorry, Dennis. All good. Yeah. So I can go now? Or yes. Um, so what I think about, what's my opinion? Um, so I uh, 
I thought there were two parts to your question. Uh, should the development centers be death center to how the business is being conducted? Yes, but uh, uh, should they be remote-based or physically location-based? Uh, I would uh, go for the hybrid solution there. So neither to the left or the right, but somewhere in the middle. Um, but um, uh, but having uh, talking about location, um, I also th- I uh, it's my experience, and I think many of them will agree that we are missing out on certain things, right? Uh, it is hard to build a team culture, especially if it's new, um, to do the team bonding and, the, the, you know, you lose out on the team dynamics that uh, come uh, with face-to-face conversations. And um, also the other tough thing about uh, remote, remote-based work is that um, when you have new colleagues, then you miss out on certain crucial onboarding processes, uh, which requires physical proximity. Um, and also, if you if it's remote based, uh, you have to go to extra mile to make sure it works for everyone. Um, uh, recently, I came across the school of thought. That there were some uh, discussions, uh, like uh, you know, a group of people were at location, and some of them were remote. So it was decided that everyone should be uh, online, uh, you know, and not go. Some of them go into a meeting room because it would be unfair. Um, so you are, uh, but then I was unsure. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't perhaps agree. But then these are the kind of uh, thoughts, uh, discussions that are coming up these days. Uh, which is better? Which is that? So I still think we're all in a transition phase. Uh, no one still has the right answers. Um, but uh, having said all that, it looks to me like um, hybrid solutions are coming up, springing up everywhere. Uh, because uh, no one knows better. Uh, everyone has their own personal preferences. Uh, but and the, but it is here to stay. And uh, as uh, engineers, uh, what we have to do is uh, we need to um, uh, find a way to thrive in it, not just survive, and make the best out of the mo- whatever model that is being thrust upon us. Uh, that's uh, my personal opinion on this. Interesting. Um I, I uh, my rational brain agrees with you, but I also know myself as a person, and that's what makes this question really interesting to me to work with in general in the organization I'm in. Um, like I'm I'm a social guy. I like being around people. I I like um, being near where things are set. As you say, by being physical proximity to other people, you pick up on the pulse of the business. Be it other engineers, be it because you hear. Uh, another department or you meet someone at the coffee machine or whatever right you get the pulse of the business um at the same time i also have uh, engineers who says sometimes uh, a bit like you said as was that it would be criminal if you were allowed to develop for a few hours um because then there is a meeting and generally they the the requirement for the meeting is not always obvious for the engineers or the developers um and in that respect, some people will do the whole, uh, if I have headphones on, then I'm out of reach, you cannot poke me. Uh, or when I'm at home, people think a little more before they write to me with a problem, rather than just turning around and poking me on the, the shoulder. All of these are very valid points. Um, and I believe there's a, a hybrid way where it works. Um, what's interesting, at least to how I see it, is that I, I try to communicate to all my guys that uh, we are a work from work first with unlimited flexibility to work from home for no uh, reason. Because I believe that there's a lot of culture and a lot of um, knowledge sharing happening autonomously by being close to both your fellow makers, to use your expression, um, but also the people who 
request the products, uh, be it internally in the business or being close to clients or marketing who pushes out something. Um, and and that challenge, the challenge that really is, uh, as you say, uh, Divya, that it's, it's really about you really need to have a clear-cut strategy and, and a focus on how do you deal with the people who are remote first or an outsourced team or whatever, uh, such that they are not lost in translation, so to say. Um, one particular way to just bring it back to some practical things that I've done is that rather than outsourcing things or um, uh, trying to find uh, people at a consultant house, uh, because obviously we cannot hire all the great talent ourselves, uh, like there's too much competition for the great talent, um, is that I would much rather open uh, other office locations that is part of the business in the remote locations where you then run the same kind of deal that you try to bring people together and collaborate together in the same physical location. Um, but it requires, as you say as well, Rasmus, that you need to respect that we are not creating things. We are not creating the value. I get that we are right because we are trying to foster all these kind of things. But in the end, it's people putting hands on the keyboard that create the products that will create revenue and assist uh, our clients or whatever you do uh, and you need to respect that people have to have the time to do that yeah just a small reflection from me also that i think um the reason why also this hybrid setup is a bit contentious is that we've had this work of way of working from an office for quite a while and it's gotten to the point where we, we didn't really think about like what's good about that way of working when is it appropriate what are the benefits like you say the benefits are like physical proximity, intimacy, like you get to know people in a different way when you can actually interact with them in that way. That's an obvious benefit, but there are many more, like we could we could make a list, right? Of, of. So so what we have yet to do, and I think that was also one of your points, David, is like, let's find out which, quote, tool is appropriate for which situation. So perhaps, perhaps if as an engineer, you can identify a task and say like, well, the most effective way to work on this particular task is to sit by myself for a full day and do that. Then, by all means, go, go do that. And don't, uh, I mean, you don't need my mission. Um, just just go do that. But but there might be some compelling arguments for my, why you don't always want to do that. Like, like for instance, you, you might want to share some things with the, with the other team members like so they understand your reasoning. Like, why did you do things this way? Or, so, so we sort of need that framework to make those decisions. And I, I completely agree with you, David. We don't have the framework yet, but we are in a bit of a hurry to do it. I spoke with uh, like a person who works as a remote first consultant who's, who's been doing this for 15 years. And they told me, well, um, before COVID and before everyone was in a hurry to do this, I would usually go and talk to companies that wanted to make the transformation. And we would always start by having this conversation where I would tell them, are you willing to invest between one to five years in making this transition? Because if you're not, you're not going to be successful, period. And that was for management, that was kind of like, whoa, a wake-up call, right? So, okay, one to five years, that's a long time. I think, well, yeah, but is it really? I mean, like we have this way of working that's so ingrained and, and so well understood by us. So, so isn't it kind of to expect that? It would take a long time to to deal with something that's still very new and we don't fully understand it. So it, it made a lot of sense to me and I, I've thought a lot about it since it's a, we, we've we've got our work cut out, out for us as managers, I think. <laughs> and we're at a hurry. 
Yeah, and I just want to add one point uh, because I feel if I don't say this, I might be, uh, <laughs> I might have left out something. Um, you know, about remote-based work. There are some things that I also, like earlier I said, what are the nice things about, you know, physical locations. Uh, but I just want to say uh, some of the things that I discovered because of remote-based, it's the diversity and the cultural mix, you know. It's uh, the wide, it's like a wide net of uh, exchange of ideas. And uh, you also discover, find out how people are solving problems in different ways. Uh, that's something that I never realized earlier when uh, it was all, you know, physical locations. You, the whole uh, department could be, could have been working in the same uh, mindset. But uh, when uh, you start working with colleagues who are remote based, then uh, it opens up new possibilities. And, and you listen and, you know, they have the different culture or cultural way of seeing things. Um, it also opens up, broadens your perspectives and uh, uh, th I think that's a really fantastic side to remote-based, uh, which I don't want to miss out on saying. Uh, 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 yeah, and that's why I feel the, the hybrid uh, is like the right mix for me. I think some great points there. I think, again, similar to the point at the start, how do you define the best? I think to say that there's a, a one-size-fits-all when it comes to on-site remote. It's very much dependent. It's contextual. It's on the organization and the challenge that they face. But some great points in terms of engineers needing that time to sometimes spend alone coding, but at the same time, it's nice to have on site. You can always go to your, your line manager if there's ever a question to be asked. So you can certainly see the value in both at this stage. I know that we've addressed all the initial questions, but I simply put it to the room and say, is there anything that you'd like to ask the other panel members? Any final questions or anything further that you'd like to add? I mean, uh, there could be plenty of things to talk about, right? But uh, as Rasmus said, we could uh, talk here for the entire evening. Uh, it's an exciting field and I think many organizations, no matter where you are in an organization, this is really top of mind because in the end, it's very resource heavy departments and you try to deliver the best products and value for the, the, the most bang for the buck um, while making sure that it's the best place to work for everyone um, and people are really happy. Um, and that, that whole trifecta is really interesting to be part of trying to make sure it works. Some great points, so I think, as you say, we could talk all evening about multiple different topic areas, and I think the way that you've got along as a group, I'm sure we can look at doing that. But for today, I'd just like to thank you all for your contributions, and if you're listening and you'd like to join us on a future episode, please feel free to reach out to me, either on LinkedIn, Connor Leyland, or via my email address, connor-leyland-evolution-nordics.com, and I'll see you all soon.